Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Perhaps if you play your cards right, you can win a copy of Louise Perry's new book, which everybody is talking about. Some people love it. Other people just like it. Uh, the book is The Case Against the Sexual Revolution, A New Guide to Sex in the 21st Century. I am looking to learn as much as I can about sex in the 21st century. And uh, my wife is looking for me to learn even more than I am. So I will be absolutely purchasing this book. Louise Perry is a writer and campaigner based in London. She's also a columnist at the New Statesman and a features writer for the Daily Mail. Uh, Louise, thanks so much for joining me on the radio. Hello. Good morning from London. Uh, So let's begin with the premise of your book, The Case Against the Sexual Revolution. What exactly, when, when we talk about the sexual revolution and the changes in attitude and the changes in psychology among women as it relates to sex, what are we referring to? What was the sexual revolution? So I argue that, I, I mean, the sexual revolution is sort of two things. So one is the way that our lives change mostly as a result of the pill. The fact that for the first time ever in the history of the world, it's possible uh, for women to put their fertility on hold by taking this, you know, this one daily pill, the pill, we call it, right, with a capital P, because that's how important it is. Um, and then the other thing that happens is 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 ideology, right, about um, tearing down old traditional ideas about sex and you know it becoming much more um mainstream to be subversive about sex and to try new things and to be adventurous and all this kind of stuff which gets portrayed as being um a good news story for women in particular right that we we used to be horribly restricted and now we are free to enjoy our sex lives in a way that we never could before and there is a bit of truth to that but My argument in the book is that actually um, there are certain ways in which men and women are really different from each other, obviously on a physical level, in that women are the ones who can get pregnant and we're much smaller and weaker than men, which makes us more physically vulnerable and so on, which is obviously really important if you're talking about um, a man and a woman hooking up and being alone together, right? There's clearly a sort of power imbalance there that's never going to go away. Um, the other difference is also psychological, that, that women tend to be um, less keen to jump into bed with someone new, less interested in things like casual sex and watching porn and paying for sex and things like that. All of the things that have become much more socially acceptable post-sexual revolution. Um, and so instead of seeing this as, as saying, you know, how wonderful it is, I don't accept the idea that it's now wonderful that women can have sex like men and can enjoy all, you know, all of the kind of fruits of sexual revolution that previously only men could enjoy. Because actually, if you look at the data on it, and if you talk to talk to most women who are, who are more sort of typical, um, most women don't really want to do that. Right? Most women actually want to have um, monogamous relationships and um, are fully aware that actually things like hookups are really very risky for women in a way that they're just not for men. So I think that representing this has been all to women's benefit. It's a bit of a con, to be honest. 
Okay, so um, we're talking with Louise Perry, and uh, the new book is The Case Against the Sexual Revolution, out in the United States just this month. It's been out in uh, the U.K. a couple months before, and it's already engendered a great deal of debate and a great deal of conversation. When I think, Louise, of the pre-sexual revolution attitude that the different genders had towards sex— Basically, it was a total double standard. Uh, it was men were celebrated as a stud. The more women they could date, the more women they could bed. Uh, they would be uh, patted on the back by their buddies and uh, and celebrated as the definition of machismo. Women, on the other hand were almost expected to remain celibate until marriage. And if they took on a a lot of random sexual partners, they would be anything but celebrated by their friends. They would be pilloried by society and their own social group. Um, The sexual revolution, it seems to, in spite of the, as you put it, the asymmetry between the two genders, it seems to have normalized a male sexual attitude towards sexuality for women. Why is that wrong? Isn't it a healthy thing that women treating sex the same way that men have been? Um, shouldn't society be embracing that? If not, why not? I think you're exactly right. That's what it is. It's, I, I, this kind of liberated sexuality for women is basically to do with imitating male sexuality um, or like a certain type of male sexuality. I mean, I don't want to be caricaturing men here, right? There are there are plenty of men who are totally happy to have monogamous relationships and want to get married and, you know, all of this stuff. I think that male sexuality is really very flexible. Um, and I write in the book about CAD and dad modes of male sexuality, right? Dad mode is all orientated around marriage and commitment and family, whereas CAD mode is... Um, uh, sewing your wild oats today. Is that an English expression? I don't know if mm-hmm. Americans know what that means. Um, and um, and what women have basically been encouraged to do is to imitate that kind of CAD mode. Um, the problem is that um, most women don't actually especially want to do that and it carries all sort of, sorts of costs for them. And also the sexual double standard does still exist, right? It is still the case that women do get judged in a way that men don't. The difference is now that it tends to be a bit more covert. So we so men won't generally talk openly about the fact that, you know, they wouldn't want to have say they wouldn't want to get married to an OnlyFans star, right? Like they'll 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 look at her pictures and they'll they'll bounty her in kind of CAD mode, but they don't actually want to commit to a woman that they consider to be promiscuous. It's the sort of thing that that men don't necessarily say openly, but they'll say privately and they'll sometimes tell researchers, which is why we've got data on this. So I think that actually the idea that we've let go of all the sort of old-fashioned restrictions isn't really true. I think that actually women are still um, restricted in all sorts of ways. It's just that now, um, you know, there's still a model that they're supposed to imitate. There's, it used to be that, that, that teenage girls in particular, young women, were really scared of, of being um, seen as sluts. Now what they worry about is being seen as frigid or prudish. Um, but they're also treading this really difficult tightrope where on the one hand, they don't want to be frigid, but on the other hand, they don't want to be sort of consigned to the never going to marry this girl category mm. um, from men who are secretly judging them for being promiscuous. So it's really difficult and it certainly doesn't look like freedom to me. 
All right, uh, we're talking with Louise Fletcher, uh, excuse me, Louise Perry, apologize. Uh, Louise Perry, uh, you could check out her book, The Case Against the Sexual Revolution, A New Guide to Sex in the 21st Century. What has this new attitude for women uh, regarding sex done to women, in your view, in addition to uh, kind of forcing them to wear a hat that might not fit them uh, for the reasons that you've described, what has it done to be harmful to women, this notion of sexual liberalism? So a lot of women report a kind of, sometimes a slightly vague sense of being um, unhappy and distressed and particularly after say one night stands feeling as though they've been um they've been used they've been disrespected just general kind of drop in self-esteem and feelings of discomfort um but also simultaneously a feeling like they sort of have to they have to participate in in a culture of casual Mm. sex that it isn't really optional um Sex in the City, right, is the is the original template for having sex like a man. I mean, and there's actually in the first ever episode um, that line is used by um, Carrie Bradshaw, the, the protagonist, um, when she she basically has um, she hooks up with an old boyfriend and is really selfish in bed, and then she and then she leaves saying like, oh, I feel amazing, I've had sex like a man, it was just wonderful, right? Making it kind of explicit that what she's talking about is basically. Um, having sex in a in a like selfish, loveless, thoughtless way, where you don't have any sort of regard for your partner. But this is represented as being a good thing. I mean, I think it's just a sort of crude reaction against the old standards, right? Saying, well, women used to be used to not be allowed to do this, so like Yabu sucks, we're going to do it anyway. Um, which I don't think is a very kind of grown up <laughs> form of feminist politics. Mm. Um, it's interesting in Sex and City as well, right, which is all about women kind of um, having sex like men, living like men in all sorts of ways. Um, you never see anything bad happen from it, right? You never see characters getting sexually assaulted um, or being made really miserable um, by those kind of sexual encounters. But in reality, that is that is how it goes most of the time, with a few exceptions. Um, and, yeah, the, the, um, the cultural ideal actually doesn't normally live up to live up to expectations. In your view, has the sexual revolution also hurt men in any way? Yeah, I would say that it's only really a minority of men who've who've done well from it. Um, the sort of men who I think have, are enjoying it are the, are the, the really high-status, attractive men, the sort of Hugh, the Hugh Hefners, right, the playboys, um, who, can, um, who really enjoy hooking up with loads of women and, and can attract loads of partners. Um, I think they're having a good time. Although I would say that they there's a bit of shelf life for it. You know, you can, you can be that kind of playboy when you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s, but you do eventually reach the point where you um, you become too old and it becomes a bit pathetic, right, and it loses the glamour, which, of course, is what happened to you, Hefner, eventually. Um, I'd say, actually, that most men, though, um, you know, I don't think it's I don't think it's a good thing to be stuck in your mum's basement addicted to porn, right? Like this is the sort of reality for um for all too many young men in the in in the twenty first century. Um and it's definitely not obvious to me that actually it's better to live like that than to, to live the more sort of old fashioned monogamous model, which we've apparently done away with for the sake of our freedom. But I don't think it's actually made anyone any happier to be honest. So much of your premise 
deals with the fact that there is sexual asymmetry between men mm-hmm. and women. Just uh, reiterate for us, if you can, Louise, why is sexual s- symmetry between the genders a lie? We're really physically dissimilar, right? I mean, so obviously with things like um, pregnancy, right, one half of the human race gets can get pregnant and the other half can't. And, um, you know, if, if you if you look at it from an evolutionary perspective, um, it obviously makes sense that women are going to be more picky about who they have sex with because the pregnancy is nine difficult months followed by dangerous labour, followed by years and years of, of um, childcare. Um, it's hugely consequential for a woman, right, if she gets um, knocked up by some random guy who she's, you know, isn't a good match for her and isn't going to stick around. Um, whereas in theory, men can um, reproduce every time that they orgasm. It's just much sort of lower cost for them. Um, so if you look at it in those terms, it, it, it becomes very obvious why there are differences in, in male and female sexuality. You know, on average, right, there clearly are exceptions to that. And, and as I was saying, male sexuality is, is surprisingly flexible. But it's something that you see across cultures across time periods by no means unique to our society that's different um and uh, it's one of the reasons for instance why um basically every every sex buyer is male um majority of porn users and the overwhelming majority of of like regular and compulsive porn users are male um these differences are massive and i think that i think it's a mistake to try and pretend that they don't that they're not there um, which is sometimes what I think feminists have done um, to try and, you know, striving so hard for equality um, that you sort of forget that actually sameness isn't achievable and isn't isn't possible. That you will mm. eventually come up against this sort of brick wall of, of biological reality, which isn't going anywhere. So I think that the the, the feminist task is actually to to recognise those biological differences and think, okay, what kind of culture would actually like be best for both men and women in terms of reducing harm. And, uh, you know, a lot of people are going to be listening to this conversation and it sounds like you're almost trying to turn, turn back the clock to some extent on women's liberation. Are, are you some sort of old school uh, religious conservative that uh, is, is uh, straight out of the 1950s? <laughs> no, funnily enough, I do get asked that question a lot. No, I mean, I'm I'm coming at this from a feminist and a secular perspective. Um, I've spent basically my whole life working in against violence against women in various ways. I used to work for a rape crisis centre. Um, I work as a campaigner, changing the law in the UK on sexual violence, um, and as a journalist and author. You know, this has always been my my focus. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, if I if I happen to end up at some of the same conclusions as some conservatives, then so be it. But I'm starting from um, definitely feminist priors. So what are you advocating for, either on a societal basis or on an individual basis? Uh, what are you hoping women will do that will have a more beneficial effect on their outlook, on their well-being? So I basically think that trying to imitate male sexuality is a, is a complete dead end for women. I think that actually, if anything, it would be much more feminist, much better for, for women, and I think eventually for men as well, 
for men to imitate female sexuality, mm. right? To have to have more um, uh, more marriage, more commitment, more monogamy. You know, all the kind of stable stuff that women tend to want more than men. Um, but also, I think is to, is, is to men's benefit as well. You know, as I was saying with the Playboys, you can't just kind of screw around forever. Um, like in the end, it's much it's much um, it's much more meaningful to have um, marriage and children than to be a sort of um, aging Hugh Hefner style figure. Um, so, uh, so I do, for instance, have a chapter on on marriage where I make the case for it from 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 a feminist perspective and say look like particularly if you have children um mothers and children are really vulnerable you know they need support mm. they need to have at least one person who's around to look after particularly in the early days um i say this i wrote i wrote the book while i was pregnant and <laughs> had a small baby so like i'm very much speaking from oh, congratulations there. thank you <laughs> um and uh, and actually we've often dismissed marriage as a sort of Oh, it's old-fashioned. Oh, it's religious. Whatever. And, and I say, well, no. Look, it had a it had a reason for it, right? Like, like people say, oh, it's oppressive to women or it restricts women. I was like, yes, it does. But you know what? It also restricts men. It kind of restricts everyone. That's sort of the point of it, right? <laughs> like, you make this promise in front of everyone you know um, that you're going to be faithful to this person. You're going to stick with them for, for your whole life. Yeah, no, that, um, which that's, is restrictive. Uh, that's true. But, that's one of the best endorsements for marriage I've ever heard. It's oppressive to everybody. Yeah. <laughs> but also like when you've made that promise it also means that you've got you've got you've got a stable foundation on which to build your life and on which to and in which to have children you know and what we've seen post sexual revolution um has been like an amazing rise in rates of single motherhood which you wouldn't necessarily expect right you've, you've got this new technology which allows women to, to control their fertility you wouldn't think that that would result in more single motherhood um but it does because because marriage as an institution has has collapsed mm. pretty much um but it does still remain available to people it's like it might not now be the normal thing to do um but it's it, you, we all still have that option um to 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 choose the more sort of to choose a more old fashioned route, sure. um, but not necessarily for old fashioned reasons. Louise, I, I have to actually really end it there. We're out of time, but uh, it's a fascinating conversation, and there's a whole lot of other stuff that I'd like to go over with you. Hopefully, we can have a, a part two to this conversation sometime soon. That would be great. Thank you. <laughs> Louise Perry, check out her book, The Case Against the Sexual Revolution, A New Guide to Sex in the 21st Century. If you'd like to be heard for 15 seconds, you could do so now, 1-800-848-9222. Uh, that's 1-800-848-9222. 15 seconds of fame straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. 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 